Welcome to Every Album Ever with Mike and Alex. My name is Michael Mansour, and I'm joined, as always, by my excited and happy co-host, Alexander Volt. Say hello. Hello. At time of recording, WrestleMania weekend right now. Let's fucking go. There we go. And that's that's the reason. This is Every Album Ever, the podcast. We listen to every single album in the world, one artist at a time. That's a whole new discography per episode. And today, we'll be discussing every album by... Sunny Day Real Estate, the least inappropriate... The most inappropriate band for WrestleMania weekend. Really? Yeah, maybe. Probably. No, not the most, but it's not up the there. most. But it's it's among a band that we never planned on covering. That probably our you know our people and fans don't didn't call that one. I would I would I would have suggested it. Really? If we yeah. I'm I'm glad you did. This was actually requested on on Patreon by Connie. Connie is a ride or die day one day one day one ish day. Basically, day one or two, yes. episode one, at least that. I believe for for no reason, I don't think she gets any likes or comments, but she does it every single Tuesday, posts our episodes on her Facebook page. She has told me stories about carpooling with family to work, forcing them to listen to our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> amazing stuff i'm so i'm sorry for your family but thank you so much god oh god I, no words can explain how much i appreciate her really seriously thank you so much bought all her t-shirts for her entire family and she has a large family <laughs> it sent you back about a year's worth of our income making the podcast <laughs> so yeah we wouldn't we wouldn't be here without connie yeah for sure absolutely uh so thank you so much for, for requesting this and 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 this is like her first request, right? Well, in a long time, uh, going back into the vaults, she has requested Van Halen. She requested Van Halen. Yes, that was that was one of my first like. That was one of the first episodes where it's like, okay, here's a big discography, yeah. and it's gonna beat the fuck out of us. Yes, check out that episode. It's episode twenty, I think. No, 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 like twenty five. I don't, you know, it's, it's whatever. It's back in the nineteen, probably. Yes, and she uh she posts it all. She posted a picture of her mom with Eddie Van Halen and, uh, or and Alex. Alex. Yeah. It was both of them, right? I think so. Both yeah. Van Halen brothers. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was great. I um, think she requested one more, but I'm I'm blanking on what she she wanted. Interesting. Maybe we'll get to that later. But yeah, this texture now, <laughs> Sunday real estate. So you were have you, do you, so we we've covered embrace and rights of spring, mm-hmm. but that's as close as we've gotten to emo. Mm-hmm. And I thought. Well, I, well, Blood Brothers a little bit. Blood Brothers and Thrice and RX Bandits are kind of flirting with it. RX Bandits is more was ska, ska, and then they they went more proggy. Yeah, uh, Thrice early on, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Don't like that band. So, but like this is a name that you associate like heavily with emo. Absolutely. E- even like the the way it sounds, the name. Absolutely, and um. I I think I was like hesitant to listen to them because I'm 36 now. And so in high school and stuff, emo was like this whole scene thing, the screamo thing. I do not like it one bit, right. like at all. I can, I just, I can't. Um, and so I was a little bit hesitant and then like something like popped up and I was like, this isn't emo music. And yeah. then I, I learned that, you know, it kind of mutated into something totally different. Sunny Day Real Estate is to emo what um, Run DMC and Aerosmith is to new metal. That's a really good and highly unusual uh, uh, 
analogy that really uh, makes a lot of sense. Yes. Oh, we did cover on DMC way back in the day. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've never heard them. I obviously, I'm not big on emo. I, yeah. I, I've gone on record defending a lot of emo albums and, mm-hmm. and like bands and stuff, even though it's not, it's really not my thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I was like, all right, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to give it a real shot. Here we go, emo. This is fucking not emo. <laughs> it's just like, it's, I, it's like it's, emotional post-hardcore. Yeah, it's closer to like Fugazi and Slint and Modest Mouse. Yep. Uh, and yeah, all those bands. So I, I, it's crazy how the genre like changed and mutated from like this, like there are little like hints of it here and there, especially, you know, like their songs, like blanket made of stars, which I, yeah, yeah. I, I see how people took names like that and kind of ran it into the ground, burning November's fire and shit like that. Yeah. Oh, that's not a real band. I just made it up. Yeah. Uh, well, but it's probably a real band. November's fire. I mean, that's, I'm pretty sure that's a Sam Hain song. <laughs> there, yeah, there we go. They, they're not emo, but that's it's a good song. Mr. Glenn, Glenn's kind of, he's got, he's a, he's not the, the cheeriest fellow. Yeah. He's not a very smiley guy. Um, I think, I think I started listening to it when I started listening to at the driving cause at the driving got the emo label too. And I remember Cedric or Omar, one of those lovely maniacs talking about the term emo and they were like, I don't, I don't like the term because like every Every form of music is emotional. What does that even mean? Emotional. More emotional, Alex. It means they're more emotional. Yeah. Well, they've never heard a Smiths album then. Uh, If if that's the case, check out that episode. That is the most emo band of all time. (laughs) Absolutely. So, um... So I think about that too, about like, yeah, what does that even fucking mean? But how well, would this? It's start, it's done from emotional hardcore. That's where yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's embracing right to spring, where it's like it's hardcore, but we're 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 talking about feelings, feelings. and yeah. it's more melodic, and there's more melody to it, and there's more heart to it. Well, heart is probably a subjective term, but uh, they, I guess they just ran with that. So it's like they hijacked the word the word emotional when really yes. it's just emotional hardcore. Yeah, and. At its at its peak, I don't I don't know what it's like now because I don't have the patience to listen to what the kids listen to. But yeah, at its peak, it kind of felt like a like hair metal to me with like a new sound. Like it's still driven by like hairspray and makeup. Oh, you mean you mean image wise and yeah. like aesthetically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the like this is not sound like Motley Crude. <laughs> no, 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 no. In the early two thousands, you know, it's still all about like ridiculous hair and. Yeah, the snake bites and, and the fucking snake checkered belts and all that. Tight pants. Yeah. And uh, although it is funny to me how tight pants have just become normal now. But well, tight pants have always been like the thing of every sub subgenre or like little a counterculture thing. It was a punk thing, it was a metal thing. It yeah. Was a, it's like it's always just and if you're baggy, new metal or hip hop. It's just it's just are you high are you high and tight or are you low and loose? Yeah, Which yeah. one are you? Yeah, but you know. 80s and 90s it wasn't really you know about that unless you were in those it was like the off it was like the off day because grunge was like we're going a little looser all right we're not gonna be ha- we're not having so tight Gr- grunge is regular fit yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> the, the levi's 502s and then, and then we move on to fight levi's 511 when we get to the more emo stuff 
No, it's so uh, side quest. It's so crazy. I remember like people buying like girls' jeans. Oh yeah, because, all my friends. Yeah, yeah. Girls jeans. But now, now you can go into a store and you can buy like tight fitting men's jeans. Yeah. it's crazy. Girly man jeans is what we call them now. That's not true. It's stupid. But uh, so this uh, band is very good. It's I, I really like them. Crazy how little information is available, like just on a general sense. Yeah. Because they're arguably one of the most influential yeah. bands ever. I, I was surprised by several things. One, the way they sound, but mm-hmm. the rest of it. Uh, two, that there was not a lot of not. A, I mean, there's like a general, like you said, like here's how they started. Here's the, the some of the drama, and then here's where they are now. And the other thing, I wasn't expecting them to have struggled so much. Uh, maybe not mon- well, kind of monetarily, but like mm-hmm. success wise, like they kept breaking up because they weren't doing well. Yes. I thought they were hearing the name because it's become, I mean, it's not ubiquitous, but you know, the fucking name. Yeah. I expected them to be successful. They no, basically weren't. No, it's, it, they're totally one of those bands where like they got their shine after afterwards. Yeah. Um, which is crazy because like they were on sub pop yep. and um, I don't know what their touring schedule is like and who they opened for. But yeah, I wonder if it was just, you know, they happened during grunge and people just wanted to fucking hear that. Even if you were to hypothetically throw them out on the road with the Nirvana, people just I don't think it would have gone that well. Yeah. Yeah. But like yeah so another thing i wasn't i didn't know they were around this long the, i mean mm-hmm. mid early early to mid 90s and yeah they're, they're this was at the same time as a bunch of post hardcore uh the same time as like you know post rock was becoming a genre too mm-hmm. and it, it's like it just happened to coincide with all that stuff it's like it was like parallel like you think oh they were clearly influenced by whatever un, uh, unwound or some whatever post rock like but no they were at the same time yeah just, it's like uh like a fork in a row they just went a little bit more melodic a little bit more simplified a little bit more emotional mm-hmm. and then these other bands went more complicated and, and wild and weird uh so it's it's actually really cool it it's it took me a minute to actually put the piece together of how this influenced all the shit that i don't like yeah yeah but after after listening to the whole discography and then going back a few times to earlier albums, I can absolutely see where it came from. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, it's, it's like, if you listen to, to embrace, you don't hear any emo in that. No. You hear just basically Ian McKay doing punk stuff. That's a little bit more musical. This is to embrace what emo is to this. Mm-hmm. I feel it's like it's like this only yeah this is like missing a missing link kind of yeah this is like a step forward <laughs> yeah so our history man tom osmonds who we should all follow and be appreciative of because we certainly are uh he got some a uh, couple snippets from, from some interviews for us one of them is from spin from 2022 and the other one is from uh from pause and play with dan uh guitarist lead guitarist dan horner from 2000 you know it's funny uh i don't remember what episode it was. It may have been a bonus episode, but we were like trying to figure out if Spin Magazine was still around. Oh yeah, did we uh, find an answer? Well, we, I just did right I guess now. We did. Like, twenty twenty two. It's not looking good if we're trying to figure out if they exist. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the 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 main 
Well, it's like the main three plus one <laughs> that's really famous, and and then a bunch of drama. So, uh, singer, uh, gu- rhythm guitar and, and keyboards. You got Jeremy Enoch, and then you know, like I said, Dan Horner on, on lead guitar and backing vocals. William Goldsmith on drums and original bassist Nate Mendel or Mendel. Is it Mendel or Mendel? I think it's Mendel. Uh, that seems more right. Uh, who you should all know from Foo Fighters because he's been with them since day one, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of beef with Chris, <laughs> or not Chris, um, Goldsmith. Why do, I, why do I think I'm reading the name Chris? That's yes. why. Uh, Goldsmith and Dave Grohl. There's a whole beef there. I'm sure. It's I been, didn't you even know that. No. Well, then I, I did. I fell down a rabbit hole of it. Okay. So I'll talk all about it. And anybody who doesn't know will now hear about it and uh yeah because they were both originally in the earliest incarnation of foo fighters and there's a whole bunch of messy shit there but aside from from mendel there's like a whole bunch of revolving bassists it just, it's a whole bunch there's mm-hmm. greg sir and fucking jeff palmer joe skyward uh nick mark macri um but i don't they come in and out and we're probably sure. not gonna be talking about them very much yeah. so uh that's who they are and that's where they be okay do you did you know do you know how this band formed and started in the early stuff? Uh no. I thought well, I thought it was like Midwest s- stuff, but uh Oh, it's Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Which is another funny thing that they started in 92 when they formed in in Seattle, which is peak grunge. I mean, maximum peak crunch. Every band there was trying to copy Nirvana at, as soon as Nevermind dropped. Uh, and they clearly weren't doing that. Who's that band we this did? Who, Silkworm. 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 Moved to, yeah. They moved to, <laughs> they moved to Seattle right when, like right before Nevermind dropped. And then when that happened, they're like, oh, fuck, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> this is not good. Whoever wrote the wiki is a super diehard fan, so kudos to them. Yeah, so it was. I guess it was formed by Dan Horner and, and, uh, and Nate Mendel. They eventually brought in Goldsmith and then uh, later on, they brought in um, Enoch. Uh, it's not the most like, you know, exciting forming of things, and mm-hmm. it's, it's just fairly straightforward. But as you noted earlier, you hear a lot of Fugazi, and that is obviously not a coincidence. They're heavily influenced by Fugazi. Check out that episode. Uh, Dan Horner said here about uh, his first Fugazi show. He says, I'll say the first concert that I remember as having a real impact on me was seeing Fugazi at a little place in Spokane called 123 Arts. That totally changed my life and made me want to be in a punk rock band. I had no idea who they were. I just knew I liked to play punk rock. He says, the crowd went nuts, but the funny thing was they got everyone to come up on stage. There were these, these two skinheads at the show who were doing that kick everybody skinhead dance they do. And they still do to this day. And they got everybody to come up on stage while they played, except for these two idiots. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before. I never knew you could do that. I have great respect for them to this day. Uh, and that was from 2000 when Fugazi, uh, right before they went on hiatus forever. Yeah, because I don't know um, how you kind of write these riffs without hearing fugazi there's a lot of moments where it's like they don't feel like a, a fugazi tribute band or a copycat or anything not at all but there were moments where i'm like that's a fugazi thing i know that i've heard that a thousand times that's cool i get it yeah these are not like traditional riffs no there's a lot of guitar interplay there's a lot mm-hmm. of like one guy dicking around over here and then these the rhythm section doing something completely different and then the other guitar is fucking dicking around the other ear uh and the vocals uh another thing that that pretty much caught me completely off guard. Uh, I actually really love 
Jeremy Enix's voice. Yeah, I it's a it's I it's a thing I'm neutral about. I don't like love it. I don't hate it. Obviously, I prefer it over you know like screamo tropes of the yeah the what, what yeah, yeah. it's this kind of like a, a neutral voice to me which i think is is fine because there's always something going on with the guitar or bass or drums and it's this there's always something to hold on to but i, I found him to be more than neutral mm-hmm. actually he reminded me a lot and it actually makes sense why i like it more than you uh his voice really reminded me of i think it's Scott Reynolds from from All the the, okay. sec, the second vocalist, my yeah. favorite vocalist for that band. Check out that episode. Uh, I love that dude's voice because it had this really sincere, young or youthful quality to it, mm-hmm. where it's it's high pitch. He's got great pitch, but mm-hmm. the other kind of pitch, uh, and it has this like really honest quality when he screams. Yeah, like you could hear it cracking and stuff. It's it's just like a really organic authentic scream like he he's, you really believe it without sounding like a whiny little bitch though well that's the thing <laughs> like even if you sound like a whiny bitch if if it was like really passionate it, it still works with a lot of like emo that i've heard it's it becomes like the style of singing like this ty- the style of screaming where it's not really screaming it's like doing this uh these false vocal cord kind of shrieks that you know that it's it's better for your voice it's good for you it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't fuck fuck you up but it has a quality to it where this guy is screaming like yeah. he's hurting himself and he, it, it, you feel it more i think it sounds great comes through he also has a really great pitch though like um even if he didn't um it would still be cool but it's something it just everything just lines up everybody feels really on point mm-hmm. but might as well get into some of the albums here hell yeah there's not a whole lot there's only four which oh man this what a what a nice week this week has been dude it has been a breeze <laughs> we've been covering such lengthy and like hefty discographies uh yeah this was, this was pretty easy but yeah four albums total first one came out 1994 last one 2000 so if you ready i am ready hell yeah this is 1994's diary really raw production yes this is not the uh not their best sounding album no the worst sounding album from a production standpoint. Yeah, but I think the playing and performance, like you said, is just so sincere. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, you know, we're listening to this damn near 30, almost 30 years old. Yeah, 30 years old. Um, and it still feels new and exciting, I think. It's. I was engaged as fuck. Yes. Like, this was like, this is not even a little bit cringy. No, no. Um, and yeah, that's a great example. Like the bass and the drums are just yep. doing. That guitar line, yeah. The reason why I see the influence—that's like a total MCR thing. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, and I, I've defended MCR, and I will defend them. But like, 
It doesn't sound anything like it. No, no, There's no. There's little pieces that, like, oh, I can see how I see the dots. Yeah, yeah, that's the best way to put it. Because I, I hear it in, in songs, too. And then as you're talking about, like, influences and stuff, I see the producer of this, uh, uh, Jeremy's voice at time. I was like, man, the guy in Placebo Sunset. And then this he, producer went on to work with Placebo. Yeah, Brad Wood. Just, uh a bunch of credits by Tom noted Liz Fair, Ruka Soul, everything but the girl, and Placebo. So there you go. And I'm it, sure Placebo loves this. <laughs> probably. Uh, this was mastered by Adam Casper, who went, went on to mix Songs for the Death by Queens. Which is one of the best sounding rock records ever. It's like one of those, try to find something wrong with the production. It, it's, it's, it's immaculate. It's damn near, yeah, damn near flawless. Uh, this album is like the one that people go to as like the most influential thing ever in their best album. I don't think it's their best album. I think it's a great album. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Same. Uh, but I do think they, they get better. Uh, and this is like the most, it really does sound like the most, they get, they don't really get more emo. This is like the most emo in that kind of thing mm-hmm. album. I feel like, which is why I guess it was so influential. Whereas later on when they, they do get more emotional sounding, it doesn't have like the, the edge i guess of this one doesn't have the hard hittingness yeah yeah there's a i feel like we're gonna have the same picks but uh, probably almost definitely yeah yeah there's a a moment where that happens again but um yeah this is just a fucking great album start to finish even like the bonus tracks are great um oh that's right like the first two albums have bonus tracks and i think on both albums they 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 should be included yes because these are short albums and the bonus tracks are are for the most part always great but um yeah it's just what a crazy style of rock and roll to decide to play in 1994 when you're in seattle um didn't care what everyone else was doing in the area and that's like bands bands like this is like it's like almost dirty because like because emo has become even like it's become synonymous with like a whiny crying overly emotional Mm -hmm. thing even though some of the music is good and then like there's plenty of people who will stab you for saying that i don't fucking care but this it doesn't feel like any of that it all feels like yeah it's sincere there's nothing like whiny at all absolutely and you know there's nothing to cash in on here no they certainly didn't they fucking they suffered immediately after this album like immediately they they were on hard times i think right after this came out Mm -hmm. uh it it is uh interesting to hear a a song like round and mm -hmm. because there aren't a lot of happy riffs to be hit be had but that is some of the more that song more more of the bright riffs i guess so why i couldn't give this any kind of best or anything is just because like the just the overall flow and pacing of it mm-hmm. um up top like it takes it has a has a rev i think it has a rev to the album it gets better as he as it goes on the first three tracks they're all good songs on their own but they all they're all very similar to each other mm-hmm. um I, my favorite of the bunch is in circles i do fucking love that song i could see the 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 way the vocals are harmonized on in circles also impacting oh, it's so great because the yeah. so you just take that but you make it worse <laughs> <laughs> and that's what they all did yeah uh yeah like th- that chorus part where it has you know one vocal line shouting the thing over and over again and then this really beautiful uh um legato 
line and uh, singing backup. Uh, it sounds great. But song about an angel is where it's like, all right, it's a good song, but it's a lot of the same up top. Mm-hmm. The rest of the album gets super diverse, but up top, it's like really same. So round comes in. I'm like, fuck, it's another song that sounds the fucking same yeah. until a minute 30. And it has the most metal rip they've ever done. It's one of the best <laughs> rips they've ever done. And yeah. It turns the whole thing around. I'm completely sold. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And then I, I do agree with you where towards the middle or the end, it does get a little heavier because the blankets were stars. That's like with the, with the stairs or stairs. Sorry. Yeah. What a, whatever. Some nonsensical lyric <laughs> song name. Um, yeah, that one I could like, you can hear the grunge in that one a little bit. That one is where I was like, Oh, I like this band. Yeah. That, first of all, it's just post hardcore. Calling it anything, calling that song anything but post hardcore is it's almost disingenuous. Like that is Absolutely. a post hardcore song. Yeah. Beginning to end, just the way it flows, the grooviness of it, the repetitiveness of it. Oh, it's fucking great. Um, I like <laughs> number I seven. Yeah. Four, what a, four tons square toe. <laughs> whatever track seven's called. Um, I I like. This throwing a little unique melodic piano in this. Yeah, it's like a it's like a spooky piano waltz uh, with some be- with some bass in there, and then of course vocals, no drums. Good little good little palate cleanser where it still fits the the themes and feelings of the album, but not in the same like sameness. It's it's like a it's out of left field. Actually, put on a little bit of that song because it's, it's right. so unusual to throw in the middle of the album and it it just like it it's an unusual song even like later in their career yeah it's a palate cleanser too for the album it makes you like okay well i gotta i gotta re-listen to everything now also listen to this this vocal line That I can't not hear King Crimson when I hear that. Oh yeah, yeah. Now I can. Yeah. I was gonna say you, sp- you speed this up, uh, maybe like a hundred BPMs, and you put screaming in a burn piano. Oh right. It's right from uh, Blood Brothers, <laughs> except not that it sounds the same, but you know the Blood Brothers yeah. like using keyboard they, yeah. piano. Oh, it's fucking beautiful. It's uh, it's legitimately beautiful, and, and it's a great palate cleanser. And then um, around, oh, well, I have problems with shadows. I, like, I liked it on first listen. And then every time I heard it after that, it mm. always feels like a dip in, in like the consistency. It, uh, but it's, it's, it is very, it's another one that's like, it's too sincere and raw to like call it bad. I think because track seven so unique and then like 48 is such a banger. Fuck like, yeah, dude. God damn. And being sandwiched between those two songs kind of does it a disservice it makes it seem more regular than all the others yeah um but yeah another band that maybe they don't get compared to is you know like explosions in the sky like they can write these like big epic anthemic um like rock music songs that don't sound like rock music where you're like you could put that in a movie score yeah yeah uh was it is it Grendel? Grendel? Grendel. Probably if it's that's pronounced probably. like the bass player's last name, Grendel. Uh, that's, yeah, probably my favorite song on the album. Pro- between, it's between that or the closer sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I love them both so goddamn much. Sometimes, by the way, is Slinty. And yes. that's like a, a term I was not expecting to use for this band. 
I well, I've only I've only heard two albums going into it. This being one, and then something else. Um, so I I knew it's just like I don't know. I feel so stupid for not like having this band in like regular rotation, but then we listen to an absurd amount of music, even without the podcast, and it's yeah. just it's hard to keep track of everything. I feel like I was lied to about this band. Yeah. No one said a word to me. Just like (laughs) just me hearing it ambiently. Yeah. Like the name Saturday Real Estate sounds emo. The band is considered emo. They're hugely influential. It's like it just it just seems like something that that I wouldn't have given a shot to. uh, But I was I was wrong. I was wrong. There's a uh, there's a gym class hero song when when I thought they were like still clever. I don't even know what happened to them. But anyways, um, I think it's on their f- probably their first album where like he's rapping and he works in all these like emo bands. And then he says like something about like sunny day real estate. And uh, that's that's the that's the stamp of approval. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, that's a weird band. That's that's a different podcast. But um, I mean, yeah, so much. They had like their moment, but you know, here's this like song where they're name checking all these emo bands. Yeah, and then, yeah. So uh, yeah, um, yeah. But but back to grin a little bit. That one, goddamn, that ba- the bass on that one is fucking goddamn too good. It's yeah. I I th- that's one of those songs where like, oh, you think it's like dreamy and ethereal, yeah, and then it gets kind of noisy at yep. the end. Yeah, it's just. Because, yeah, it is, for the most part, it's very atmospheric, very, yeah. very pretty, very floaty, spacey vocals. And then, then it gets, and it whips your ass. Oh, and, man. and sometimes we, it's such a fucking beautiful closer. We used all our whimsical um, adjectives. We're done for the rest of the episode. We have to just keep saying it's cool and good. But the, the bonus tracks are eight and nine, <clears throat> which is crazy that they're bonus tracks. Yeah, they sound, they sound like extensions of the album. Like some of them. I would replace like I would replace maybe 47 with with nine. Sure. Um, and eight, they they'll be recorded for the next mm-hmm. album. So we do get it again. But these versions are uh, I mean, these the songs alone are like, oh, they're they are evolving from these songs. Like they're mm-hmm. written around the same time period, but they are deeper. They are more complex. Uh, and even uh, J- Jeremy's vocals on especially eight. It's very well on both of them. Fucking mm-hmm. both of them. Uh, they're way more pointy. And nasally, uh, it's like a, he's like singing differently. It's like maybe I don't know if it was earlier or after where he was just trying out different styles or something. But for sure, it's interesting. Yeah, both very epic and lengthy songs. Uh, but yeah, this is a it's a good ass album, a strong debut. More way more in common with hardcore than emo. That's for damn sure. Or post hardcore, post rock, post hardcore. Yeah, um, and uh, people seem to like it. So there's not a whole bunch after this album. I'm pretty sure it did poorly. I'm pretty sure. And they were already about to break up. Like, mm-hmm. so, so much so that by the next album, during recording, they were broken up. <laughs> like Man. they had agreed to like, all right, we're just going to finish this one as fast as we fucking can. And we're done. All right. Mm-hmm. Just, just get it out. We'll finish the goddamn songs in the studio. Let's just. This is not working. Yeah. <laughs> they already gave up <laughs> immediately. That's crazy because I see here they played on the John Stewart show. Yep, yep. Um they played the almost acoustic Christmas here in Los Angeles, which used to be a big fucking deal. I 
don't even know if it's around anymore. I have never heard of it having lived in Los Angeles my entire life. And this what? is one thing I did forget. I'm glad you said that because I forgot. Uh, apparently, goddamn Horner refuses yeah. to play in L.A. Uh, forever and has never explained why. <laughs> or never, okay. Sorry, California. California. Oh, okay. That makes me feel a little At least better. This, yeah. this is the quote from Wikipedia. All right? I don't fucking yeah, yeah. No, It says, for most of its early days, the band also refused to play a show in California for reasons that were never fully explained. When the band was asked to perform at the 1994 Almost Acoustic Christmas in Los Angeles, uh, Horner refused to join them, leaving Enoch, Mendel, and Goldsmith to perform the show as a trio. What is his beef? What is their beef and his beef? I'm so curious. Uh, it's, uh, it's a wild thing to axe out uh, an a huge entire state. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's got problems. I'll give it that, but my, I, mean, I want to leave the state. I get it, but I don't, I mean, to, to for, forbid yourself from performing there is pretty funny. Mike is the, the only, only person in our generation who listens to rock music and somehow escape the, the grasp of, of KROQ. Uh, how so? Oh, like, like almost Acoustic Christmas is a big fucking. Oh, okay. It's a big fucking deal. The, that, uh, it's funnily enough, my only. Exp- I listened to K Rock as a, as a as a young kid back when like there was more of I don't know my generation's music that I, I guess it was on there, um, like as a young child. But my my more vivid memories are just Love Line, and then yeah. then after that, just nothing. Yeah, yeah. I guess you know older brothers, you don't have to, but um, yeah, yeah. Almost Acoustic Christmas and the Weenie Roast were big, big festivals. Oh, shit. Interesting. Uh, I don't know if they still do them. I have not listened. Now you have streaming. I don't know who listens. Apparently, someone listens to radio still. but Plenty of people, and I don't know how or the context, because it can't be the same context as, as it was for decades before the world has changed so or much. like yeah before like you know you had your cd collection or tape collection and then that was it the radio if you wanted to hear yeah it's got to be mostly talk i mean i would imagine even then i, I podcast you know i don't fucking know i have no idea i haven't listened to the radio since i was like seven years old yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know uh, uh i've i've been in a few cars and had it come on and it seems the same as it ever was so so in other words it's gonna die very shortly because if it's not so it's not growing and then moving with the times i don't fucking know what the hell am i talking about uh what i do know is that around this time period uh enoch uh converted to christianity it became heavily devout which i'm sure he still is to this day and i think that caused a lot of rumors that that's why they started, mm. they broke up and I think it's been debunked. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense that it was debunked because usually when uh, he has, he has some quotes in there and he, he's like really, really devout uh, in my experience. Anyway, when someone goes through like a, a big life changing thing like that, they end up being way happier and more on board with the shit. It's, like, really? it's, it's usually either one or the other, either like this part of my life was horrific. I need to move on and cut off completely. Mm-hmm. Or I am so happy here. I want to spread this love. Yeah. And if he didn't, if they didn't break up because of that, then it probably had nothing to do with it. If I had to guess. Yeah. I don't know anyone like that. Thankful. I don't know. I, I don't know. This one out. It, it's, it's one of those things with like really, really religious people where, where, uh, if they're, here's the thing. If they're, if they keep it to themselves, <laughs> then I don't, I don't care. Sure. But if it makes them happy, if it really changes their life for the better, how can, how, how would you not support that? 
go get, have your fun, dude. Fucking hell yeah. I wish I could have something like that. I really, really wish I could have something that made me happy like that. I got podcasts and Taco Bell. God damn. Anyway, what are we talking about? Music? Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they're breaking up. Stuff is happening. They're mm-hmm. in the studio. They're trying to rush it out. And there's a lot of things about this next album that are like insanely rushed, insanely half-assed. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. It's crazy. It's it's an interesting story, but we gonna talk about the music first. So I'm sure you're ready because I asked you that already a long time ago. Yes. This is 1995's uh, self-titled or LP2 or the Pink album. There's any of those names. Take your pick. <laughs> On this rip, sold immediately. This is. Hearing that the album was rushed, though, I feel like that kind of makes some sense. A lot of parts make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, don't feel as strongly about this album as I do, like, the last. Really? Interesting. I like his vocal approach here. It's it's very unique. It's, it's like he's forcing it out or something. This is heavy and genuinely sorrowful. Yeah. Yeah. What a like interesting thing to play for a bridge. Oh yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Like you, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. Completely. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a cr- it's a unusual opener, but I like it as an opener. Best personal favorite. We're not. We're not going to agree. I, no, no. I, I I'm surprised because <laughs> this was so cut and dry for me. This album, I fucking love this album. All right, I yeah. fucking fucking love it, and. I was so sold in this immediately. Like I heard it. I was like, oh, this is fucking so much. Like I liked the last album a mm-hmm. lot, but this one's like, this is an improvement in every way. And it's not like a, a night and day improvement. It's just everything has been improved. It felt, it felt like, and then I listened to the full discography and then I started thinking like maybe, maybe the first album is the best mm-hmm. one. I don't know. And then I listened to the first album again. I was like, all right, it's good album. Then yeah. listen to this one again. I'm like, nope, it's this one. Yeah. It's this one. Yeah. Fucking. I love it. I love it. Uh, Why don't you love it the way I do? <laughs> It does. It does feel like it's lacking a little, little something compared to the first album. Um, not that it's bad, but it's to me, it's like it's staying the course, and the course just happens to be really good. That's interesting. You also said that because uh, our our boy Tom says said right here. He says I, I've heard it said that when a band releases an album mid career as self titled, it means they're trying to reinvent themselves. What do you guys think about that in general? And in this case, and he he lists off a bunch of examples I didn't even think about. Mm-hmm. The Cult, their seventh album. Uh, the Cure's twelfth album. Deep Purple's third <laughs> album. Metallica's fifth album. Prince's second album. Allison Chains' uh, third album. Blur's fifth album. And one he didn't note here. Uh, Killing Joke. They made two self titled. The one <laughs> was the first one, and the other one was in two thousand three, and that was a absolute radical uh, shift in in sound. Yeah, I 
guess I can only speak on two of those because, like, I like The Cult, but I haven't listened to seven albums worth of The Cult. Um, I don't really feel like Alice in Chains was, like, a huge leap. It wasn't a huge leap, no. And then Metallica, obviously, was a huge leap. And then, yeah, Prince was, like, from more, like, traditional funk stuff Mm -hmm. to to prince um and then deep as much as i like deep purple i i haven't thought about them in that context so and then uh not really a blur fan so i would say in the case of this band i don't think so this no this, not yeah this definitely feels like they're they're doing the same type of thing a lot of these songs i'm sure a ton of these songs are written at the same uh like in the session like the, the closing track is literally from the sessions of diary yeah or like yeah we had like eight as a bonus of course eight eight um, and then, and then, um, what's it, what's it called uh, radio Jones. That's, that, oh, that yeah, was yeah. recorded during diary, um, which actually sounds like it was. Yeah. It's the only one that's kind of sounds like that era. Eight is an absolute like fucking killer staple of a song. And I'm like, I'm amazed that song didn't get more radio airplay. It's wild. I love that vocal line. It's a very unusual, really unique vocal line. And then here, I think this, I mean, I like the original, <clears throat> the original version fine, but this one mm-hmm. does sound a lot better. The vocals are way less pointy and abrasive. The, you know, every, everything kind of fits more. Uh, but every song, I love every song. And this album has three of my favorite songs of theirs ever, where most albums have like maybe one. Yeah. Uh, Waffle, fucking love Waffle. Yes. And then uh, Jenna or Jaina, Jaina. Yeah fucking was like hell yes brother fuck yeah dude <laughs> and then it's a bonus track it's a bonus track i did but i wish it wasn't i wish it wasn't bucket of chicken yeah holy shit dude that's song. a real fucking amazing song we're so used to like bonus tracks being kind of this tacked on or like or, or inconsequential yeah and then it's just like man bucket of chicken fucking rules i, I wish that was the original closer instead of rodeo jones yeah like that's rodeo jones is my least favorite and it's not even a bad song it's just the least developed mm-hmm. it sounds like something that could have been on the first album whereas these ones all these songs feel way more fleshed out and dynamic and deep and they're lengthier and they're they're just this is just a straight up post rock uh post hardcore album like yeah. through and through i'm surprised she didn't bring up iska oh fuck yeah uh what how the Hold on, we can pronounce this. They have too many songs I don't want to try to pronounce. Um, Where the fuck is it? Uh, is okay. It's, track, it's, it's track seven again. It's track seven. It's Iscarabate. Iscarabate. It's got to be that one. Well, I'm also questioning how fucking if that is even a word because it probably uh, isn't. Yeah, because I was thinking about this album being being rushed and uh, it, it, to the point where Lots of lyrics weren't written, at mm-hmm. least according to the bits I've read. And Jeremy was just like singing gibberish. He was pulling a cocktail twins, just singing gibberish. There we go. Like, fuck it. I mean, just just get it done. Just get it. And uh, on first listen, the song 5-4 comes on and I get vis- visibly, I get noticeably annoyed. Uh, the song is beautiful. But at the title, it's like that's the laziest the song the main riff is in five four the, the yeah. song is called five four I'm like that's pretty fucking lazy yeah and then after reading about it, i was like oh yeah they just didn't want to title it they were like trying to get the fucking thing done man it's so it's so crazy how a band is trying to 
like, oh, let's just get this over with. And it's still really fucking incredible. Oh, man. How many like how many albums have we listened to where bands were like really fucking trying? <laughs> Every just, album by Steely Dan. <laughs> just really trying. I like the Dan. Oh, um, man. Yeah. Lot, so but, that's what it's like. The It's. It, it coincides with the, the Albini ethos of like fucking just uh, knock it out. And you know, what you are is what you are. That's mm-hmm. what I'm recording. I'm recording what you are. Whereas we talked a little bit about it on a, on like a, a singles episode or whatever, <clears throat> where I, I, I'm not really a huge fan of like the play it a million times until it's perfect. Like the Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. And then you made a good point of like, well, isn't swans the same thing mm-hmm. and the only difference and it is pretty much the same thing but the only difference is that uh steely dan is praised for it whereas swans is like pariahs well not really but. Well, well it's like nobody looks at swans like look how good they are they played that thing a thousand times until it's perfect it's like no it's not it's not why we like swans it's not because it's perfect yeah you can't show a like technical music geek who likes porcupine tree yeah swans and have them be like oh fucking immaculate yeah it's not the same thing smell their own farts yeah so i i I tended to veer more toward the albini like do it in three takes because you first of all you can't afford more takes Mm -hmm. you don't have any time and also because that's what you got in you this is the moment this is where it's happening even rick rubin who's very famous and loaded with money kind of has that like like the best takes are usually like the first cup couple any anything after that we're just beating a dead horse here and that comes up again why uh goldsmith had the fucking feud with dick girl okay it, here we it's really well it, it happens after this album okay. but it's really re- really ve- relevant i think it's after this album but uh, a little bit more about the album and why i love it so much uh i think it flows very nicely very nicely uh like, like friday the opener that we we're listening to is very melancholy and mm. like it's it, it would be dreamy if it wasn't so heavy. It has that kind of just mood to it. And then Theo B comes on and it has great energy. It's very snappy. It's like the kind of thing you want to, to follow up something that um, um, like, like you're what you go from standing on sand to, to solid ground kind of thing. Yeah. I, I like the drumming on Theo B. Um, I feel like a lot of times in a, a band like this, where it's just like, um, Maybe like an individual member isn't getting praised and especially not the the drummer. But um, yeah, I like the drumming a lot on that. I think he does some unique things with it. He's a great drummer. Uh, and everything is just so it, everything is constantly moving. So there's there's never That's any a good way to put it. Yeah, there's no lulls here. Uh, even when it goes slow and, and dreamier and, and more emotional, it still moves and it still has a lot of cool things going on with each uh, ear in the mix. Uh, yeah, it's just yeah, everything is very it's it's emotional, but again, it's not like super sad. You don't really mm-hmm. feel bummed out listening to this. And except, for, I would say Waffle is like the most somber. It's track pretty on somber. Here. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty somber. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's like what that song does. It's like the clean and pretty side of post hardcore that that, you, that those bands usually only dabble with. Mm-hmm. And I fucking. I love that. And I always wanted more of that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so this album is pretty much like, I, I hold it as in high regard as, as most of those, those bands. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's a step above in every way. I think it's super underrated. And I think I'm surprised it doesn't get talked about more. I mean, it gets some stuff, but not enough in my opinion, but uh, it's wonderful. If you're a post art or post hardcore fan, this is a, this is a must. 
must listen. Hell yeah. So after this, they, well, they break up during this, like I said. And uh, Jeremy goes on to put out a solo record and uh, Nate, Nate Mendel in uh, an old William Goldsmith. They get uh, picked out of a crowd by Dave Grohl. I think he goes to one of their shows and he approaches both of them and says, join my band. And he'd already recorded the first Foo Fighters album. Yep. Putting, he's trying to put the group together for the color and the shape, but would eventually be color and the shape. And well, the story goes, <laughs> it, it kind of fucking blew up. Uh, obviously Nate stayed with the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, Tom here notes that he's like, uh, was that the right decision? Yeah, it was such the right decision for Nate to join the Foo Fighters. <laughs> it's insane. And it absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, the right decision. But so they both join and they're, they're, they're recording like, I guess, calling a shape pretty much. Um, Pat Smear was already in the band um, at the time. And they're recording with Gil Norton. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize uh, Goldsmith actually got like credits on this album. Two of two of his songs, well, I think two. Well, you know what? A lot of it was re-recorded. That's why he left, and this mm-hmm. it's a whole blow up. But some of his parts are still on on the record. But Gil Norton produced this. He's done fucking the Pixies, Echo and the Bunnymen. He's done. A lot more than that, actually. He's done a. He's one of those guys, but he is one of those assholes that says play it a thousand times until it's perfect. He's one of those producers. Okay, so that's what they were dealing with recording this album. Mm -hmm. And apparently, old Gil was a real scumbag to both Nate and William. Holy shit! I think he called him the rhythmless section. Oh my god, that's fucking straight blasphemy. It's first of all, it's insane and incorrect because they're great, but also. Is that how you want to get the best out of your musicians when you're fucking demeaning them? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah, the last uh, the last time I feel like we talked about like a producer overstepping their bounds was like whole and that whole mix up with the the drummer and I forgot about that. Yeah, where he like fucking kind of bullied her out of the band and he had like Courtney Love's ear and man, that's dark stuff dude that's dark stuff but here so gill is this guy and he's doing mm-hmm. that and i so i read both sides of the story i read dave girl side of it and then i read goldsmith side of it and what it seems like at least judging from both sides is that uh goldsmith was totally justified to feel hurt and mm-hmm. to leave the band he is not justified to still be holding on to that shit all these years later no as we've said this is like <laughs> Going on 30. Yeah. So uh, what happens is he's they're doing the stuff and they're, they're getting berated by Gil. Mm-hmm. They, according to, to Goldsmith, he says like, I did like 93 takes of one song. I did 12 hour sessions trying, just trying to do one song. It was like Holy a lot. Shit. And even uh, Dave, Dave girl was saying like, I saw that it was wearing on him. Like mm-hmm. it was getting to him. Like it's, it was intense. And so, so the funny part about that is that Dave is saying, Gil's going ham, dude. Gil's fucking, he's intense. He's a, he's, he's a high-pressure dude. And Goldsmith was saying it was Dave doing it. It was Dave who wasn't, who wasn't pleased with any of this stuff. He was the one who was a perfectionist about it. So there's already fucking stories not lining up yeah. there. So who knows? Take your pick. So that happens. He's doing all this, all this extra work. He's fucking exhausted. He's 
defeated. He records all these tracks. He learns later on another uh, deviation in inside of the story. Dave says it, that it was he who told who told William. Uh, William says it was Nate who told him. That seems a little bit more probably accurate, but. The, the news is broken that I had re-recorded all of your parts or the vast majority of your drum parts. Oh, man. Dave says that Gil told him to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe he did, whatever. Point is, also, by the way, the way Dave put it was like, uh, Gil wanted me to re-record re some of his drum tracks when in reality it was like 90% of them. Like, was it some or was it like all? Damn. So what happened after that uh William was uh devastated. He says he heard it from Nate, like like holy shit, what mm -hmm. the fuck? Uh really upset. But Dave was like, don't I mean I want you to still be in the band. Like yeah. Then he but but William was like, I I'm not gonna fucking I'm not gonna just be a touring drummer. I don't want to like have mm -hmm. all my work just not even considered like I worked hard. I'm not the best drummer ever, but I'm good. Yeah. And I like what I did. Like that's disrespectful and it's hurtful and I I don't want to so it blew up <clears throat> Again, there's more uh, miscommunications with like Dave was like saying that uh, his friend that William said his friend offered him a job digging ditches like, oh, fuck it. You want to go dig ditches? Go no, do that. Then you'll fucking you'll regret. You'll, you'll miss being a Man. drummer. But really what happened, at least according to William, he said, I was quoting uh, Caddyshack. I said, like, the world needs dig ditch diggers. It was like a joke. Uh, I guess he didn't get it. So it's like. All these years have passed, two completely different sides. Everything is not lining up. But what seems like what happened was Dave. Wanted it one way, re-recorded his shit, William was hurt, and now he won't let it go. <laughs> now, I know I talked a lot. I'm sorry. It doesn't end stuff. there. <laughs> it doesn't end there. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So how does it not end there? It ended there for a bit. Nate stayed mm -hmm. with the Foo Fighters. William it's left. Probably still there, yeah. They so Obviously, there's more albums here. The band reunites. This feud continues a little bit a couple albums later so i can continue the the story as it comes up okay man <laughs> I think it's time to move on uh, yeah. it, it feels a little dark but imagine they they ask him to fill in for taylor and he just gets like all this ptsd <laughs> full-on unfortunate son starts playing in the background hey i realized we fucked up me copa wanna and then he just fucking loses. Like, yeah, you son of a bitch! That's not what happened. I'm just no, it'd yeah, be yeah. fucking funny if it did. But yeah. Anyway, moving on to the next. The, the they reunited, uh, and the things are different now. Mm -hmm. uh, who's on this next album? I obviously the, the main three are there, but I'm gonna find out in two seconds. Yes, because uh... so this is yeah they got Jeff Palmer on bass now. So yeah, Nate isn't on this. I think he's done. Mm -hmm. I think he's done with the band. He's got he's got that Dave Grohl money. He does got the Dave Grohl money, but he does reunite with them for a side project and one of the reunions. Mm -hmm. So he's like still buddies with them. He still likes them. Yes, uh, but. Anyway, this is 1998's How It Feels to Be Something On. So this was the first song I ever heard. Is it? By them. I was like, no, no. Well, I, is, I understand why you would think that. This song is very good. Is this like, you know, on Soul Seek, you know? Tells you like Rage Against the Machine does the DX theme song, but they don't. Is it like one of those situations? Uh, that drum sound is excellent. 
this is uh, a flawless track in the in the book of Alex. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. Um. Ain't no surprise you like the vocals, honestly. I I love I love it. Um, they're a little more high pitched, but yeah, very hushed. Yeah, everything just kind of comes together here for me. Um, and in a weird in a weird way, I feel like it kind of sets a groundwork for me to like ISIS. You know what? I see it. Yeah, I see it. It doesn't get anywhere near that heavy, but no. Also, never expected that comparison. ISIS and Sony Lizzie. vocal line is so Isis. Yes. Dude, and, and this, oh, it does sound like Isis. Holy shit. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that song does rule. <laughs> um, best personal favorite. Okay. Th- I'm glad. I'm glad. It was, yeah, okay. I fucking. So this, I've heard Diary. I heard this one and like, I always like these albums, but I didn't have any strong feelings about them. And now here I was like, oh my God. Like. The Holy way shit. the way you felt about the last uh, album, okay. like this is flawless to me. Oh I, wow, really? I I love every song on here. Oh shit, I got problems with it. Like with three tracks. Interesting. Like, yeah. um, it's crazy because it's this. Oh, it's a weird album cover. Yeah, especially for the type of music they're playing. Um, but it's just like I I love Pillars so goddamn much. Um, and then you just roses and water oh, rose and water yeah the f- dude man, the riffs are so different yeah there. that main riff is in nine four and if if you want that's a, a reference for what nine four is that big section in black hole sun that's nine four yeah which is again you don't you're not expecting crazy odd time signatures with a band like this but yeah well, this is they, what the band is they did name a song five four so it did it did yeah but <laughs> but nine four is nine four is a different animal it's four more than five four it's, it's all, uh, <laughs> i want to see like a seinfeld episode with george being like jerry it's four more <laughs> it's four more jerry four more <laughs> <laughs> every shiny time you arrive uh that it had me worried in the in the intro. I was like, all right, it's ballady acoustic. And then as soon as the bass comes in, ooh, it's like butter, baby. Bass is real good. I forgot there's like a keyboard on there. It's just like very layered. There's a whole bunch of synth stuff on here. Yeah. Yeah. Um Two Promises is the like most alternative rock thing they've done, but it's still it's still great. It's still kind of weird and moody. And that's my first issue. That's my first issue song. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm, there's a lot of uh, a lot of Beatles influence on this album. That's one of them. Yes. Uh, just in the, in the, the types of pro- progressions, uh, that one it's like I have problems with it, but some of those moments, especially as it goes on, those are pretty hard to deny. It gets really big and epic, um, really legit moments. Uh, and then hundred million is like another one where it's like I don't know. It's I, I'm conflicted because both of those songs actually th- both of them yeah. are good examples uh, where it's like. It does a bunch of stuff that I'm just not super excited about. And then they'll throw in this one thing like, that's fucking good. God damn it. Like 100 million, around two minutes in, it goes into this arpeggiated waltz. And it is such a unique ass riff. Um, It returns to it later on. But the first time it shows up is around two minutes. Um, 
It's a whole shift in the whole song. Completely different shift. 100 Million's definitely the stronger song. I feel like the guitar and drums are working real hard here in yeah. like the best way. Like I I love everything this song served up. Like this comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. It sounds like the beginning of a song though. It does, it does. That's yeah. how much of a shift it is. So vocals are totally, like, totally different. That's the next thing we gotta talk about. God, that's a fucking great riff. Yeah, it completely blindsiding riff. Uh, vocals, and this is where he sounds great on here. He sounds good on here. He's no longer sounds like the Jeremy Enoch that I love. Mm. He's not screaming anymore. He never screams again in this band. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's doing a lot of like really you know falsetto stuff. Everything is it's way more ethereal. Mm-hmm. It's not as angsty. It's mm-hmm. not as angry. Uh, it's a whole different thing. It's way more gentle. A lot of hush vocals. A lot of like almost whisper singing. It's pretty. It's a nice. Little, a little more high pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's not. Yeah. There's not nearly as much aggression. And uh, because of that, there's no like voice cracking. There's no like sheer honesty in it mm. anymore. So that's what I loved about it. Uh, still sounds nice, but it's a different approach entirely. Um, title track fucking <laughs> fucking rules. Title track does indeed rule. Profit feels totally unique for them. Now that's the only song I do not like Rick, on this album. You know, you know why? Because it has those fucking vocals. <laughs> it does, but it fucking works. <laughs> it just, it, I can't not laugh. <laughs> fucking here. <laughs> Um, fucking works for me. Fair enough. Guitar and video games. Who Fla- flawless. Who, flawless. Who doesn't love those things? Um, and then it's in, really me in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> and in a case of like, oh, um, they probably influenced, but they're kind of just peers. So like, yeah, it's like the most modest mouse thing they've done, but uh, also not because I doubt, you know. Yeah, man, I need to fucking listen to that band like thoroughly. There are two albums from them that I I love love like love yeah yeah um, yeah it's been neglected for too long. Uh, guitar and video games and the Sharks on Private Fuck are two of my all time favorite songs in this band. Nice, they're both so goddamn good. I mean, Jesus Christ, they're both so fucking good. Yeah, uh, and then Days for Golden, uh, more. So- somber than anything else definitely uh, you got some brushwork on the drums i think it's very appropriate as a closer i think it would be out of place anywhere else yeah yeah um i think by that point i was just more fatigued on like the just the vibe of everything because it is a very samey vibe even though mm-hmm. it is consistent um and that one is another one that i feel like has some pretty prominent beatles influence but it's a good closer yeah i um it's weird to like revisit something i don't have like a strong nostalgia for and then just like god damn that feels good yeah sometimes you just sometimes you need to hear it at the right time yeah yeah so uh this is uh this is gonna stay in rotation now for me or you know as best i can with all the nice that's fucking 
delightful. Like, yeah, I really was expecting one thing going into this episode and not even a little bit came out that what I thought it was going to come out. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's it's been a while uh, uh, since I've like even <laughs> when I get a pick the episode, it's been a while since it just like found an album where I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Oh shit, man. Uh our boy Tom said right here, uh, in regards to like the the credits on this album, is like um he says that there's a metric fuck ton of engineers and producers on this album and a noticeable lack of text on the band's wiki compared to the band's first two albums. I don't know what that indicates, but I think it indicates something. It doesn't much like what can skinny girls do for you, it doesn't indicate a goddamn <laughs> thing. Doing goddamn thing. <laughs> Not a goddamn thing. Uh, it's, it's, sir, I was just I was reading that, certainly expecting this to be like at least a, a flyover album. Be like, all mm -hmm. right, it's not quite as good. And while I do love the album a lot, the the previous album more, it's like, no, this is this is this is still strong. I wasn't expecting the re the re them reuniting to be this fucking consistent. I will say because it's coming up, I don't think they have a bad album. Uh, this uh, put into the these games the, we play. The confines of our rules for the show. These wicked games. Oh, you do a better one. I can't. It's add. just mostly a, a Hank Hill impression, honestly. <laughs> it's just Hank Hill Something, something, propane. <laughs> yeah. Alex's best and personal favorite. Uh, and I, I don't know, is there how much is going on behind the scenes here? There's not a whole lot. Like, um aside from like uh greg williamson produ producing this who is a vocalist for positive greed which is a hardcore band uh but again we don't know much more about that um actually on this album um god damn it that this broke my broke my heart right now oh what happened uh, oh they were supposed to be on one of my picks for the greatest soundtracks ever the crow soundtrack no it's city of angels oh uh, the sequel oh never mind dr bullet there dr bullet no. never mind aside from iggy pop being in that movie <laughs> yes <laughs> uh but they, they were if supposed was, to be if it was the first one oh, yeah. oh man They're, amazing soundtrack they uh yeah, they were supposed to be on the city of angels soundtrack i guess it didn't pan out but uh i forgot which, which songs are i believe it's uh yeah it's the title track and, and every shining time you arrive were originally intended for uh jeremy enix second solo album because mm. yeah the first one was released in between the last album and this one uh and i think he he was like he's not much of a songwriter on his own according he says that he's he's usually collaborates but he was actually writing songs by himself for the second album and they just ended up becoming songs for this album nice so nice, apparently he's yeah. not too bad at it nice flexible uh vibe for the band it sounds like yeah 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 until dave girl sticks his grubby little fingers <laughs> <laughs> oh i need money hello uh but dave girl seems like one of the nicest people in rock music though having said all that yeah he does he does seem great except for like i'm sure he's ruffled a few oh yeah for sure yeah. uh the only thing that that keeps me like skeptical is the fact that he doesn't return buzz osborne's phone calls <laughs> like i'll never like why not? Buzz is really cool. Why not? What's the problem? What, what, why aren't you answering his phone calls? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'll answer his phone calls. As a, as a fan of both. Uh, 
It's uh, disheartening. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder. Uh, but we're on the last one. We got one left, baby. And you know exactly how we both feel, at least from a general sense, because we play this game that we do on this podcast. So are you ready? I am ready. Hell yeah. This is 2000's The Rising Tide. This was totally different. Oh, yeah. It feels way harder than anything on the last album. It's also crazy how this is like, from a technical standpoint, I think their best sounding album. Technically, a la- layer wise, production wise, it's the most uh, ambitious. Who did the fucking Wikipedia entry on this? Because it's under Arena of Rock. <laughs> I didn't see this. Whoever did the yeah, whoever did the wiki for this label, it's not even like arena rock, indie, emo, post rock. It's just arena rock. It's only arena rock. You hear that? You hear this arena rock right now? This. This is regular old cream, dude. This is just like cream, just like cream. Old slow hand. Yeah. Vocals sound a lot like the last album for the most part. You know what's funny though? If Slow Hand wasn't Eric Clapton's nickname, wouldn't it feel more appropriate for a band like this though? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could slow dive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good fucking chorus. And it's a good opener. It's a misleading opener. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Um, worst least favorite. Yeah, worst least favorite. Yep. I, I still like it, though. I don't. I you, straight, oh, you don't like I actually like, don't yeah. like this album. Oh, damn. Um, I was pretty let down by this one, like, especially considering the, just the past three. Like, mm, really liked yeah. all three. And this one's like, yeah, I see it has moments. It has stuff that is objectively very, very beautiful. Yeah. My ultimate problem is... This is the only album to really, really like suffer from the sameness. Mm. Like everything feels exact. The only there's only one moment where it changes gears, it feels different, and it perks me up. Mm-hmm. And that is that is the ocean, and that is a song I fucking love. And every time I hear it, like I it's like a song that I think I, I don't like that much. I think I only like it contextually. Yeah. But then every time I hear it, I'm like, no, this song fucking rules. Yeah, that is uh one of their more ethereal sounding s- songs and then with the the bigger production it definitely helps sonically oh yes and for you daniel hell yeah sonically hell yeah it's also it's great for for pacing but it's also the basically the only cheery song on the album and i do say that kind of loosely yeah i mean television it, it gets a little upbeat there for for what this is by the way, I this has nothing to do with with this album. I just randomly remembered the first album. I believe was released the same day as Weezer's the fucking blue album. What is it? Oh man! Either way, yeah. And I think that could have been why it didn't do as well. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but I remember they're the released on the same day, and that's like a, a crazy thing. Ooh. May tenth, ninety four. But back to this. <clears throat> um, yeah, there there are things I I like about this. Um like rain song i don't think they've ever like overtly done a a song driven by the acoustic guitar there's always like elements 
or even heavy elements, but never like driven. Mm -hmm. And this feels like the first one uh, kind of dipping their toes in the more like Nick Drake folk. It has, um, I don't know if there has, are there real like, strings or it's just synths? I'm not sure. It looks like there's like, a string yep, arrangement. Yeah, real strings. So they, yeah. they do sound great, although uh, they're they're way more ethereal again. They're, they're not quite as in front of you. They're very much, uh, you know, peripheral. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't know what bass player they had on this album, but uh, the bass playing on Disappear, uh, no relation to Metallica say Disappear, is just, uh, I love the bass playing on that song. This is doing a lot of cool shit. That one, I didn't like it at first, and it it didn't completely win me over second listen, but I did like it a lot more on second listen. By the way, I believe it's uh, Jeremy on bass on this album. Well, everything except for... Track uh, nine, which is much of that television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's is there even is there even bass in television? <laughs> yeah, there is. Um, who plays on it? Yeah, yeah, Dan plays it on okay on television. Um, but what's the other only other song that I aside from the opener that I like a lot is "Faces in Disguise," which is truly gorgeous. <laughs> that song I didn't love it at first. And and then it um and then it would this won me over the more it goes on um it does go on a while because at first I was like I ah, you know you can just cut this and it it evolves and changes and you you feel better with it and I like it a lot um that's my it's it's obviously um not in the same vein as the previous three albums but. I think my biggest complaint about this one is Faces in Disguise and the title track are just really? too similar. And I, I, that's funny because I, I don't, I think the title track is one of my least favorite songs of theirs across the board. Yeah. And Faces in Disguise, it's not one of my favorites, but I do like it a lot. Mm-hmm. The, the main riff sounds a lot like, might even be the same chord changes as, here's a weird pull, Xerxes from Deftones. Oh, shit. <laughs> is it, that's how you pronounce it? Xerxes from yeah. uh, Saturday Night Wrist? Yeah. Which I fucking adore that song. Uh, and I believe it's like the same core changes. Yeah. And it's just fucking lovely. Yeah. Uh, it's just pretty. And it's that, that song itself is almost, it's bordering on psychedelic the way, and on how big and wide it is and how much, how many synths are on there. And how, yeah, it's just very, very floaty. If you want to go Middle Eastern psychedelic though. Oh God. And the very psychedelic title, you got full in the photograph. <laughs> full on Arabian Nights. Yes. Good God almighty. Is that one cheesy? <laughs> of, co- of course I like that. <laughs> I'm not that big on that one i'm gonna listen to that behind my camel all of it actually i know one that you probably like that i don't like what's that snipe uh me okay so it ticks the box of random robot vocals yep there it is always on board for or not always but more likely they do kind of come out of nowhere but they do interesting enough um this band's an interesting jambalaya of sounds. I was like, huh, this could be a Jane's Addiction track. Okay, I'm has. glad you said that because yeah. I forgot this point. Uh, on more so the, the last album, mm-hmm. maybe this one too, but more so on, on the, the previous album, lots of moments where Jeremy sounds like Perry Farrell, like yeah. similar vocal choices. And then also he's way up there in the, in the, the higher register. He's got, well again not like they did it 
I hesitate to say first because whoever really did it first, but they've gone like his vocals have gone full placebo, the band placebo. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that's where they're at here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in some ways I was like, you know, um, I know you didn't love sport. I didn't love sparkle horse, but like when he's on, when he's good, I was like, this yeah. is like the best Sparkle Horse album he's never done. Uh, I mean, I, I love the first Sparkle Horse album quite yeah. a bit. Uh, but check out that episode. Uh, but yeah, like overall, this one, it's like, it's not even that I didn't like the direction they went in. I don't, I don't, I don't love the direction they went in, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. It's mostly just the, the fatigue of the same type of song over and over again. Sure, there's tons of variation in between. There's a lot of great, beautiful mm-hmm. stuff on here. But you feel that like everything feels the same. You, it's the same level or the same like gauge of melancholy. Mm-hmm. Or, where again, the only Brit, the only moment uh, of levity is the ocean. Where oh, like oh, this is it. It's still kind of sad. It's still not fully cheery, but it's like a, just a different type of sad. Give me all the different colors of sad. Don't just give me the one color of sad. That's like that's sure. basically what I'm saying. Sure, throw in some grays in your blacks. Yeah, this is all one color. Whereas the early ones, maybe they like the last album. Sure, it was all kind of dreary and, and sad, but it had different colors of sad. This is a. This is definitely one of the one of the more like interesting. Like, I don't know if variations the right word, but but like I don't. I don't know like how many bands we've covered and then it's like, Oh, it kind of makes sense. Or it like comes out of nowhere, but it's really good. And then this is, this is a really like interesting note in the band's discography at, at minimum. If yeah, like, um, I, yeah, it, like I said, doesn't scratch the same itch as the first three albums, but it's, I don't know. It's it's very interesting, and it's oh, it's a different it's a different animal. It's a different thing completely. Uh, may not be for me, but it's not like it's not even close to the worst thing ever. Uh, I think this also had some sadness to it because they toured. I think heavily promoting this one, and then they broke up immediately after. So I again, I don't think it did that well god damn uh these guys really didn't succeed <laughs> they just like or I, I don't even i don't know i mean they succeeded in one way they mm-hmm. they have a great name for themselves and they obviously influenced a bunch and they're doing i think they reunited last year and oh. i'm sure they're doing well there if that tour didn't do gangbusters i'm gonna be fucking furious <laughs> it had to have I, it there's no way it didn't but especially because they're arena rock but oh that's right that's where they because they can do arenas oh yeah <laughs> uh but they uh they broke up again after this and then uh i'm sure all kinds of shit happened in between i didn't i don't i read about it but i didn't like mm. fucking etch it into my brain mm-hmm. but they reunited in 2009 what a weird performance <laughs> yeah well the first I think public thing they did was uh, they played seven, which is a cool thing to do mm-hmm. on a late night with Jimmy Fallon. You know, everyone's favorite late night show. <laughs> Fucking Jesus Christ. I I feel like the only reason cool musical shit happens on that show is because the roots like who doesn't want to hang out? With well, the that, roots? that was before the roots. This was late night. That was before, he's a tonight show now. You're right. I thought they were just for the tonight show, but uh, I guess they're for, they're for late night as well. There you go. I jumped the gun before the reunion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Enoch Goldsmith and Mendel 
formed the Fire Theft mm -hmm. in 2001. The, their first uh, album came out 2003, and uh, and then like, so you have to check that out. Yeah, I'm curious about that too, because uh, Mendel, you know, because it kind of hopped back and forth between mm -hmm. them and Foo Fighters. Whenever you know the schedule would allow, he would he would, he would go on tour with the Fire Theft, and uh, so so there he was still very much friends with them and, and still a part of them, even though he's he's with the Foo Fighters. Then they reunite, they reunite with him, and things are going so well that they're like, "Fuck it." We're recording another goddamn album, baby. Oh. Here we go. Let's do it. And they go to Dave Grohl's, uh, what is it, 606 Studios or Studio 606. Mm -hmm. And they work out a bunch of stuff and fucking radio silence. Nothing happens. They they work, they record stuff. Uh, it gets leaked. A little, bit, a, bit of, a little bit of it is leaked instrumentally, which I listened to. Um, I don't know how many tracks there are. I listened to six. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's all there is. Uh, that's that's floating around there. Maybe there's more, but it doesn't see the light of day, and there's all kinds of uh, rumors and allegations as to why one of them is uh, Goldsmith's side of the story, which is a little bitter. <laughs> he he straight up blamed Dave Grohl for it not coming out. He, he what did he he said some pretty nasty things. I think. You know what, Goldsmith? You've been you've been burned, and uh, I. I get I get where you're coming from, but maybe just maybe just stay away from Dave. I don't because like he 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 keeps going on record saying like I'm fine making up with him if he'll just sit down and talk with me. Okay, maybe yeah. But the things he says when he's not sitting down in front of Dave Grohl, or it's like he blamed him uh, for like the reunion not working out and the album not coming out. Um, he said uh, the album also didn't come out because uh, Jeremy didn't get quote the the moral support as well as the engineering that he deserved. So, mm. so, so he's putting maybe words in his mouth. I don't know if Jeremy said that. I don't know. And it all seemed very bitter. And then uh, that didn't go over well. Uh, Nate was very hurt by that. And he, according to this, this, uh, this snippet from Spin, he, Mendel said uh, at the time that there was no truth to the claim and relations between him and Goldsmith had been strained ever since, which is super sad that's unfortunate yeah and uh so so horner said this about it which is even sadder and it, again it makes goldsmith look worse because this is horner saying this he says uh, a lot of those things were untrue and hurtful to dave and nate i hope one day we're sitting and talking about how we fixed it with the foo fighters and that they accepted our apology i also hope and pray one day that i get to play music with nate again but we're going to have to earn it and it's not going to be easy <laughs> Ooh, fuck it's like Oh, that's that's deep. That's that sucks. That is rough. Uh, on the actual unreleased fifth album, uh, which I think you can find a playlist on YouTube under the name LP Five. Um, it also has like they they re they released one um once it was a it was, it was on a split with Circus Survive. Thank you. Yeah. Um, called called Lipton Witch. It's like the only song of newish material. Yeah. And it's a good song. It's a cool song. I need to check that out. Yeah. Um, that's it's also on the same playlist on YouTube. Nice. Um, but anyway, those those songs, uh, they're un, underdeveloped, of course. There's no vocals, but they're basically put together. Uh, didn't wasn't too jazz on them, wasn't too into any of them. I think she kind of didn't like any of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't feel bad for that because this is what Horner said about those <laughs> about yeah. the whole situation about the album, about the songs. He says, um, well, at least this thing says. 
Uh, Horner admits that purported unreleased fifth album instrumentals floating around on YouTube are legitimate and that the band worked on 12 or 13 songs during the sessions, but felt they simply, quote, didn't sound like Sunny Day. It sounded like a straight ahead rock record, but not even good, just like boring and bland. I'm so grateful to the studio and the generosity of Dave Grohl and Nate, and I hate to diss our work because we did work hard on it. We look at those and unanimously we're like, we missed, we missed the mark. It's hard because you put in so much time and effort and a song becomes a living part of you. We had to bury these songs and move on. Man. Oh boy. But I don't, at least he's a realist. Yeah. Uh, Cause I bet a lot of bands would have this been like, no man, like people, they want this. And I, I respect this being like, we missed the mark. Don't like it. If you don't like it, why Why would you do it? Why mm-hmm. would you put it out? Mm-hmm. It also reminds me, in the second comparison to Deftones, of uh, the unreleased Deftones album. The last one that had the bassist who, who died. What's his name? Um, Chi. Yeah, you're right. Chi Chang. Yeah. Chi Chang. Um, yeah. What, uh, the, the unreleased album. What the hell was it called? I I didn't know about this right now. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, Eros. There we go. It was called, it was, that was the working title, Eros. It was basically made. It was basically completed. Mm-hmm. And then Chi got in that accident, yeah. put him into a coma. And they're like, hey, this is a fucking hold off. Yeah. And then it didn't get better. And they just moved on. Like, well, let's just record a new album. So that, that's when Diamond Eyes came out. Yeah. And it was always just kind of in the background, like, we'll put it out when he's better. And then he died. And they're like, mm-hmm. eh, fuck it. Let's just not. And I think... Th- if I'm not misremembering, the last thing about it that I that I read was that they were like, it's just we moved on from those songs. Like that's just we don't even like it. it they were they had problems. We were hoping to to finish it and work through it with Chi, but it's just move on. It's just leave it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's like a whole different different beast. And I get like how how personal that that feels. Yeah, but I don't know. I could see maybe. That's seeing the light of day. That kind of also reminds me of the that Volta album, which was their last album until recently. Nocturna, Tourniquet. We're from uh, Volta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tourniquet. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, Omar gave Cedric those songs, and then he took forever, and he's like, "I've, I, I don't, I moved on from yep. them." And, uh, detached don't really feel anything for them yeah and the album suffers and i think it's their well you know what i would probably put the newest album as their worst at this point <laughs> but that was uh, you know that was the worst at the time yeah. at the time and yeah it's it's is also we're doing a side quest but uh yeah it was interesting to hear those things and then they like played one song from that album oh, on, did the, they? on the reunion oh wow thing so didn't, th- didn't, didn't see that coming I did not see that coming. That fucking, I was like, is this a fucking new song? And then I looked up the the set list and I was like, it's from what? Holy shit. So most recent news, of course, in, uh, in on, I believe it, in the same spin interview, mm-hmm. um, which is from January of 2022. That's when they confirmed that, um, that the three, the main three were, were going to be reuniting. And uh, yeah, so they toured in you know, May, whatever. Uh, I think, Wait, no, no, it was announced in May. On September 10th, sorry, mm-hmm. they played the first reunion at uh, the Big Dipper, which is a venue co-owned by Horner in Spokane. And yeah, I mean, if they're still doing it Let's now, fucking go. I'll be down to go. Fuck yeah, yeah. let's fucking go. 
that I can safely say I'm a fan of Sunny Day Real Estate, which yeah. I never, never saw. Not even that I had like a, a vendetta or like, ah, fuck him. I don't want to listen to that. It's just like I never thought that I would actually listen to them. Like I never thought I would be like, all right, I'll fucking. It, it was, there's so many bands to listen to. Like, absolutely. There's just, and, why would I get around to them? And I, I've talked about this before, I think, maybe. So I apologize. But, it, you know, it's kind of hard when um, if you find a band on your own and maybe your friends don't like the band or for whatever reason it's just not in your atmosphere so it's it's not that like i felt like oh i don't need to listen to this anymore it's just like you know i i meet i meet new people and they're amped about this thing and yeah it just yeah. gets pushed and things new things come in and then everything gets shuffled around and then you forget so then- yeah maybe yeah maybe if i had a more emotional connection i would have kept it in rotation maybe. but uh now i do have an emotional connection because this podcast is the hardest thing i've ever worked on in my life <laughs> it certainly takes a lot of time a lot of time oh my god <laughs> so much time. <laughs> but hell yes that is a that's another episode in the fucking can let's do a little recap uh nice clean clean easy one here um i hate the title of this but it is my favorite every track's a banger how it feels to be on something something on or so uh, it, it drives me crazy i don't, I don't how know. it feels to be something on yeah real messy there and then uh worst least favorite rising tide i actually enjoy it i think it's a very interesting album doesn't scratch the same itch but you know that's what we do here indeed and for me self-titled slash lp2 slash the pink album uh best personal favorite it is up there with some of my favorite post-hardcore albums um except with a little bit more soul, a little bit more soul, a lot more melody, prettier. Is this Charles Bradley doing it's Sunny just Day? just Charles Bradley doing <laughs> Sunny Day Real Estate. You know, we, we talk, that would be fucking amazing, though, it, if he was still alive. Of course. We talked about him on a recent episode, uh, about the episode we did on Charles Bradley. And I mentioned that it's like, you know, the, like the, probably our least, maybe second least yeah. listened to episode ever. And like two days ago i got copyright claims from the charles bradley episode from youtube <laughs> like they barely figured out that someone put up that someone, episode. <laughs> someone at youtube listens to our podcast and then they heard us oh shit all right uh, oh fuck let me get these guys real quick <laughs> that was like three years ago <laughs> it's not even on a major either which is funny um yeah, I'm just going to keep bringing up Charles Bradley until people listen to that fucking episode. It's fucking great. It's a great artist. Anyway, that album rules. Uh, Rising Tide, worst, least favorite. It is my, it's the only album I don't like by the band. It's not even that bad. It's just, uh, it wears on me more, more than uh, most. Um, decent otherwise, but not not for old Mikey boy. Fair, which people won't won't hear that it's no no people don't people hear what they want to hear and if you, you guys this fucking what just came out huh oh just, the red cross oh my spazzes. fucking god dude spazzes, the spazzes it's fucking hilarious how like uh, a band where i think i'm gonna love the fans they turn out to be a bunch of fucking dork spazzes who can't handle anything <laughs> fucking weirdos man you, you can, <laughs> 
literally praise a band like I did for two and a half hours, and they'll still find a way to spaz out. My favorite thing is when they refer to us as one person. I'm like, who are you? Yeah. Occasionally, we'll get singled out, but sometimes they just talk like we're one person. And I have been told that people do like this podcast because we have you from each other unique voices. Where some podcasts, everyone sounds the same. You're like, who the fuck's talking? First of all, we, yeah, no one can confuse our voices. No, not and one no one bit. can confuse our faces. No, <laughs> and also we disagreed the entire episode. <laughs> Except for like the albums that we liked and didn't like, everything else like still got referred to as one person. Though you know, maybe we should just fuse like fucking Dragon Ball. Uh, but thank you so much for listening and watching. Thank you, Connie, for one sticking with us for so long, and then two suggesting a band that we wouldn't have chosen. Maybe some, he would have chose some honestly. people. Not not Goldsmith, but some people would say Connie's the best, the, the best. best, the best, absolutely the best. <laughs> So thank you for that so much. The best. <laughs> the best. <laughs> you're going to be my hype man sing the best after every line. Haven't, haven't I shown you the uh, where they just replace all the words? With the best? Yeah. I sure have. Okay. I know okay. exactly yeah. the reference. Right. Good. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Check that out on YouTube. Oh, Jesus. Uh, but yeah. So if you want to support us and help us, you can you can uh, leave us insulting comments. <laughs> you can also do, or, or you could also not and just subscribe and hang out or do whatever the fuck you want, honestly. Algorithm. Ah, the algorithm doesn't care. Comments are comments, baby. Please do whatever you feel <laughs> is best. Uh, leave your picture best and worst if you want to play along with us or tell us we're retarded because we didn't like exactly what you liked. It's all good. You can do whatever you want, baby. It's America. At least in this room, it's America. Uh, you can also follow me on all social media at Pander Monkey and Alex on Instagram at every album alex hell yes and please do not forget to follow our history man tom osmond who does a whole bunch of shit for us he does he, he jumps through hoops he fucking pulls miracles from his rectum tom osmond sounds at all social media as well as tom osmond sounds.com for all his music tom osmond tom osmond.substack.com for all his interviews and all his stuff about music which is great and his his most recent album, uh, Industrial State of Mind, which he did with Existent Non-Existent. You could find links to all that in the description. Uh, oh, yeah. Check out my EP, too. Pander Monkey. It's good. Listen to it. Yes. And there's a link to that in the description also. Yes. Uh, I think that's... Nope. No, there's not. Patreon. Baby, baby, baby. Patreon. Got to. <laughs> got to. Patreon.com slash every album ever. We got some bonus episodes. You, had to, you get the you get the see our schedule in advance. You get to vote on polls to decide who we're covering next. What it was the next big episode is going to be a poll winner, which was exciting. I was glad it won. Uh, you could also join the Discord, be part of our community, and suggest our EAE singles episodes. That the year is moving forward. Things are coming out, so it's more relevant than ever. And we're picking albums directly from there uh, to do episodes on. And then, of course, you can. Do what Connie did and suggest a full-ass discography if you're tier two. Um, yeah, these are harder. They take longer to do. They, they're usually much bigger episodes, but uh, they're they're fun and they're you, thorough. You'd be cool like Connie and pick a band with four albums. You can be really great and do one that's not going to hurt us. <laughs> and buy t-shirts for your entire family. Please. Please do that. Be Everyone be more like Connie. For the love of God. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that's, uh, that's about it. Go there, do that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And well, I think it's time to wrap it. And I think it's time you picked a song. Yeah, it's it's again to bring up Stain, even though I hate them. But uh, I I have to go 
I have to go with Pillars. We played a little bit of it. Um, it's the first song I heard from them, and it's so crazy to be like, that's the first song, and it continues to be my favorite. Hell I yeah. Can't, every other band's so jumbled, I can't say, like, that's the first song, and I love this band, I can say that. Hell yeah, baby. So there we go, Pillars. Thank you so much for listening and watching. See ya. You can feel the pain your eyes speak when I'm